Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. If you've been with us for a while, you know what we're doing. You know exactly what it is that we've been doing since the beginning of this year. We have been traveling through the books of God's word, looking for God sightings. And real quick, I just want to explain what God sightings are. God sightings are God's revelation. It is God's presence. It is God showing himself to his people through the different experiences that have been happening through the different stories that we have experienced through the Bible. And the reason why it is so important for us is because it's through these sightings that we begin to realize and understand who God is. And because of that understanding, we are able to learn how to dwell in his presence. And when I say dwell in his presence, I mean be in the middle of, surrounded by God's Holy Spirit in every area and in every facet of our lives. And just to give you a really quick example of that, last week, Elliot, he spoke to us through the book of Daniel. And the God sighting that God showed us through that had to do with our integrity. It had to do with the authenticity of our faith. Are we going to stand fast in our faith when push comes to shove? Or are we going to buckle and bend and break under pressure? from the outside world, from the outside culture? Will we show disingenuous faith or will we stand firm in God when the rubber meets the road? That was last week. I should leave right now. No, but that was last week. And this week is going to be no different. God has something super extraordinary to show each and every single one of us that he wants us to experience today. And he wants us to experience it through the books Hosea and Joel, his prophets. And coincidentally, we find their stories in the books that carry their same name. But before we get there, I was kind of wrestling a little bit with God on the truth that he wanted to communicate to each and every single one of us. And he, and he reminded me of something that I did a very, very long time ago. I want to see if any one of you here kind of know what it is that I'm talking about. I have a picture right here. It's going to show right behind me. Is it there? Boom! How many of you know what this is? Anybody? I got a couple of hands. What is it? What is it? A game. It is an, I knew you guys would get it. It is a Nintendo GameCube. Listen, I grew up a Nintendo person. How many people grew up Nintendo? How many people love Nintendo, right? There you go. A couple of hands. A lot, actually, a lot lot of hands went up. A lot of people love. Nintendo, apart from my mom and my dad and my brothers, was kind of like my first love. It was like, this is it. This is it for me. Like, Nintendo was my thing. And growing up, I had the Nintendo, which was the original. I had the Super Nintendo, which I think a lot of us was the one that we probably remember the most. After the Super Nintendo, who remembers what came after the Super Nintendo? No, not, somebody said it. 60, mm, 64, it was the Nintendo 64. After the Nintendo 64, it was the GameCube. The GameCube came out. Now, 
when the GameCube was, I had all three, by the way, when the GameCube was about to drop and there were rumors and whispers of the GameCube, I was, I was like, okay, I got to get this. I, I got it. I searched magazine articles. I searched uh, uh, the internet, which was in its early stages at the time. I even went to multiple game stores that were around the area where I lived at to find out the date of when the Nintendo GameCube was going to drop. I literally, for lack of a better word, I harassed the employees. I wanted them to tell me, you have to tell me. That's how bad I wanted it. So finally, I broke one. One of the employees came up to me, Eddie, you've been here for like the sixth time this month. All right, finally, I tell you, GameCube is going to drop in the fall of 2001. In September. I'm not sure if I just revealed my age or not, but in the fall of 2001, it was March of 2001. So I had a few months to gather up some funds in order to do what I needed to do in order to purchase the GameCube. I worked extra shifts. I worked overtime. I sold magazines. I sold, I sold sticks of gum for 25 cents for anybody who was gullible enough to buy a stick of gum for 25 cents. That's exactly what I did. I even did the unthinkable. I went up to my mom and I told my mom, Mom, I would do extra chores. I would do, and for anybody who knows me, cleaning is not my gift. It's not my gift. But mom, I will do, I will give the house the white glove treatment, mom. If you were to give me 10 extra dollars for my chores, that's how bad I wanted the GameCube. Now, there were three problems that I encountered. Three problems that I encountered in the middle of this. One, the PlayStation 2 had already dropped. The PlayStation 2 had better graphics and it had better games. PH knows what I'm talking about. The second problem I ran into, the Xbox. The, X, the Xbox was going to drop a few weeks after the GameCube. The Xbox was the most anticipated gaming system of all time at that point. It had better games, and it had better graphics, and it had the classic game that went down in history as Halo. A lot of people know about, a lot of people know about that. The third problem I ran into, every single one of my friends told me, Eddie, you got to get the PlayStation. You got to get the Xbox. Don't save up your money for the GameCube. It's Nintendo. Nintendo was glitchy. Nintendo doesn't have good games. The graphics aren't going to be that good. Eddie, I'm telling you, the moment you buy it, you're going to regret it. It's not worth it. I didn't listen to them. I bought the GameCube. And let me tell you something right now. It was everything. It was everything my friend said it was. It was glitchy. The games weren't that good. It was not as fun as the other stuff that was coming out. But you know what? It was mine. It was Nintendo. It was my first love, so to speak. I did everything that I could possibly do in order to get it. And when I got it, it was worth it. It was worth it. So I have a question for you. Have you ever pursued something like that? Have you ever chased after something like that? Were you ever driven so much for something that you went after it with everything that you had? That you did everything that you could possibly do in order to get it? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, every single person here has done that to some extent one way or another. Just to give a couple of examples, maybe we've done something like that for a rare pair of Jordans for all of my sneakerheads. 
The colorway was too dope. The Jordan 11, 12, and 13, they're coming out in this special package. They're not going to release it again for another five years. I have to do everything that I can to possibly get it, and I will. Or maybe we've done something like that for the latest and greatest piece of technology. I remember when the iPhone first came out, there were lines around the block because people missed work, called in sick, spent their mortgage money because the first iPhone was very expensive. They spent car note payments because they wanted that phone so bad that they did everything that they could possibly do in order to get it. Maybe we've done that for the latest and greatest piece of technology. Maybe we've done it for that car. Maybe we've done it for that car. You know what I'm talking about. The car that when you pull up to the red light, it's the car that's next to you. The car that when you park in the, shop, in the shopping center, it's the car that's next to you. The car that you're driving around and everywhere you go when you see you look, it's that car. And you take it as a sign from God. God, I know you want me to get this car. God. It's right there. I keep seeing it. I know it's what you want me. I'm going to do everything I can possibly do, God, to get this car. How about for the ladies? How about for that dress? Prom just happened. For those who are a little bit later on in their season, their wedding. We know what I'm talking about. Come on, don't front. You see that prom dress, you see that wedding dress for some odd reason. All other dresses just disintegrate and fall to the ground because no other dress matters but the one that you saw, that you love, that you like. And you did everything, credit cards, bribed your uncle, your parents, whatever you wanted to do in order to get that dress because that dress was just worth it that much to you. Didn't matter what your friends thought. Didn't matter what your parents, didn't matter what your dad said. That's the dress you wanted. And that's the dress that you got. Or maybe, maybe you did it for that special someone in your life. Maybe there was somebody who entered into your life and you saw them and you were just like, and you knew it was them. And you did everything that you could possibly do in order to get them. I'm pretty sure you can think of some things on your own right now. I don't want to call anybody out. Husbands, wives, don't elbow, you know, the person next. We know it's cool. Well, I have some really good news for you. Actually, it's awesome news for you. That right there, that right there, that is the very heart of our father. That is the very heart of God. That is the very heart of Jesus, but not for material things. That's the very heart of Jesus towards us. That's the very heart of Jesus towards you. That he would do everything that he could possibly do in order to get to you, to get to your hearts. We are his Nintendo. It doesn't matter how glitchy we are. It doesn't matter if our graphics aren't that good. It doesn't matter regardless of how anyone else values us, whether too high or too low. That doesn't matter to the Lord. Because God has done and will do everything he can possibly do to get to our hearts. He will do everything. God is constantly pursuing. He is constantly searching. He is constantly seeking after us. He's constantly doing that. In Ezekiel 
chapter 34, verses 11 through 12, we get a good glimpse of this. I'm going to touch on it just really quick. It says this in Ezekiel. This is God speaking through the prophet towards his people. He says this. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. There are two things that really stand out to me about this verse or these verses. The first one is when it says, I myself. God is doing something really cool here. I don't want us to miss it. When God says, I myself, that's God making it personal. I'm not sending anybody else. I'm the one that's searching for you. I'm the one that's going after you. I'm the one that is seeking you. I'm taking this duty, this time. I'm not sending one of my angels to do it. No, no, no. I'm going to do it because you mean that much to me. And also, I love it when he says in verse 12, when he says, I will find my sheep. I love that phrase, I will. Because when it comes down to God, it's such a definitive statement, I will. And whenever I think about that, I do my best to try to remember all the I wills of God. When God comes down to Abraham, he says, I will make you the father of many nations. I will make your descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. I will deliver my people out of bondage and slavery from Egypt. I will bring you into the promised land. I will send you a savior. I will forgive you of your sins. I will heal you. I will restore you to myself. Whenever God says, I will, it's a wrap. It's because something is going to happen. If you are new here to Christ Fellowship, if you've been here for a few months, or if you're the super OGs who've been around for 26 years, you are a direct result of God saying, I will, and you hearing it and responding to his call. You're a direct result of God saying, I will. There are no coincidences with God. You are here because he called you. You are sitting in these seats because he called you. You are watching online because he called you and you heard his voice. God is constantly pursuing, searching, and seeking after us. The glitches don't matter. The mistakes don't matter. The shortcomings don't matter. The amount of sin that we have committed in our lives, guess what? It doesn't matter. When I say God has done, I'm talking about the work of the cross. I'm talking about how God took his everything, gave it up on the cross for every single person in the existence of humanity, for the forgiveness of their sins, in order to create a pathway for us to have a relationship with him. God has done. And when I say God is doing, I'm talking about how he is always constantly searching for those who would respond to his voice. God has done and is doing everything he can possibly do to get to us, to get to our hearts. Which brings forth this realization that I think is very important. 
And I think every single one of us, if you have the opportunity, write it down. Or if you have your phone, take a picture of it when it shows up on the screen. It brings us to this realization. Because he is constantly pursuing, constantly seeking, and constantly searching after us, our God is not a God that gives up. Our God is not a God that gives up. We don't serve a God who says, oh, you did something too bad? Ah, you know what? I can't help you. You're on your own. No, 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 no. We don't serve a God like that. We serve a God that does not give up. When everything in our life is turned upside down because of the bad decisions that we've made, because of all the missteps and mistakes that, we have hap- that have happened, that we have caused, when we think that we have done the unforgivable, when we choose to ignore his word and his command and go our own way, even then, even then, God does not give up on us. He does not. And God illustrates this so perfectly in the life of the prophet Hosea. Perfectly. You see, God uses Hosea's life as a mirror image of what is happening to his people in Israel. I have to say that again because I don't want us to miss it. God uses Hosea's life, his ministry, as a mirror of what has happened to Israel of what is happening to Israel, and what he is going to do with his people. It's very, very important. It's very, very key. And before we get into it, I just want to give us a little bit of background of what is going on in Hosea's time, because I think this is going to give us a lot of insight as to why God called upon Hosea and why he did the things that he did. The first thing is, is that Hosea was a prophet during a time when God's kingdom was split into two. It was split into two. You had a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. Now, Hosea was a prophet for 40 years, but it was mainly directed to the northern kingdom, Israel. We're all tracking so far? All right. Now, during this time, everything was pretty good. Everything was, I'm not saying it was great, it was awesome, but everything was good in the northern kingdom until the death of King Jeroboam II. The moment this king died, he was a pretty good king. He wasn't like, you know, the most fantastic king. He was no David or anything like that, but he was a pretty good king. But the moment he died, he had a succession of kings that were horrible. Every single last one of them was worse than the next one that preceded it. And as always is the case, as the king goes, the nation follows. And just to give you an idea of some of the things that they did after the death of this king for about eight or nine years in succession with all the horrible kings that followed after him, this was the state of Israel at the time. They trusted, first thing they did, or they were doing, I'm just going to name a few, not all of them. One of the first things that they did is that they trusted in other nations and that nation's military might more than they trusted in God's strength. That's the first thing that they did. And I don't understand how you can have a people that saw God literally split the Red Sea. That takes a lot of might and a lot of power. They chose another nation's might and power over that. But that's what they did. That's what they did. Another thing that they were doing is that the people of God at this time They were becoming more known. They were becoming more known for their crime, for their corruption, 
and for their wickedness, their immorality. They were becoming more known for that than being known as a people of God. It's like, hey, how's northern Israel going? Oh, the people that worship God? No, it wasn't like that. Hey, how's northern Israel going? Oh, those crime, those, those corrupted, those people who are wicked and slanderous? That's what they were becoming known as. They're becoming known as that. On top of that, on top of that, there was a widespread fertility cult that was running rampant all throughout northern Israel. Now, in this fertility cult, there were orgies, there was drunkenness, and there was a whole bunch of debauchery going on. And as a result of all of this that was happening, when the husbands were sleeping with other wives, when the wives were sleeping with other, other husbands, and back and forth and this and that, guess what? Marriage went down the drain. The sacredness that God had put in place that marriage is supposed to be, it went down the drain. And because marriage went down the drain, what followed after that? The family life went down the drain too. Because what were the kids seeing? What were the children growing up witnessing? The same exact thing. So the family dynamic was being destroyed among God's people because of the sin that they were committing and because of the fact that they have fallen so far away from God. The rich people were oppressing the poor. And the priest, the people who were supposed to bring God's people back whenever they strayed, didn't do that because they were corrupt. And they decided to profit instead of, bringing, instead of bringing them back. Look at how bad, glitchy, and Israel became. But my heart breaks. I have to be honest with you right now. My heart breaks. When I was reading this and I was studying this and I came across all these things, I started to get this really sinking feeling in my stomach. Because I can't help but think of our time now. I can't help but think of our time now. Marriage vows mean very little nowadays. I saw a poster not too long ago. It said, divorce finalized in three days, guaranteed. The family dynamic right now is being turned upside down every which way but the way it's supposed to be. Marriage for those who are listening, marriage is between one man and one woman. That's it. That's the way God designed it to be. That's the way the covenant was supposed to be. That's the way it is holy in the eyes of God. But I saw this. I'm not going to mention the state. I'm not going to mention. I'm, it's not part of my notes. I think I, I'm not even sure if I, uh, whatever. I saw this the other day, and there was a person in this state who wanted to sue the state because of discrimination. Now, the discrimination they, they tossed in that key word because they wanted the state to act really fast. You toss out discrimination, everybody pays attention like that now, right? But the reason why this person felt discriminated against was because the state refused this person to marry themselves. It's true. The state had refused this. How in love do you have to be with yourself to marry yourself? I mean, think about that. But because this person tossed out some key words, the state, guess what they did? They buckled and they allowed this person to marry themselves. The family dynamic is being turned upside down. Our nation right now is cutting deals with other countries because of their strength and not because of our own. 
corruption, immorality are all running rampant in our nation right now. Crime is all over the place. I saw this story the other day. You can grab a group of people, walk into a Walmart, walk into a Target, steal whatever you want, walk out, and nobody will stop you. I'm pretty sure you've read and seen those stories. The cops won't stop you. The employees won't stop you. Why? It's just not worth it. We are becoming a nation, a state, a city more known for the things that don't reflect God than for the things that do. How much further will it go? Nation, city, nation, state, city, neighborhood. Nation, city, nation, state, city, neighborhood, household. How far is it going to go? Is your household known more for reflecting the things of God or is it known for something else? Is it known for something else? But this was the state of the people when God called upon the prophet Hosea. And we have to remember something very important here. Excuse me. Excuse me. We have to remember something very important here, that Hosea's life, his ministry, is a mirror image of what is happening with Israel, what has happened with Israel, and what God is going to do with Israel. So it starts, Hosea chapter 1. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go, take to yourself an adulterous wife, and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, before we go any further, I have to point something out really quick. I really do, because if I don't, it's going to bother me, and I'm not going to be able to sleep well, and I want you guys to sleep well. And I'm not sure if you noticed it or not, but I did. But anyways, right? There's something very important here that I want to point out really quick. There is a lot of debate about this verse. Between biblical scholars and theologians, there's a lot of debate. The debate is on one side, you have people saying that Gomer, the female that Hosea married, was already a prostitute when God called upon Hosea to marry her. That's one argument. The other side of that argument is that she wasn't a prostitute or an adulterous woman Yet, and the reason why they make that argument is because God would never call upon one of his priests or his prophets to associate himself with sin because that would defile him and discredit his office. That's one argument. That's the other argument. Now, in order for this to kind of make sense, we have to grasp something that's going on here, and we have to remember one important thing. Hosea's ministry, his life, is a mirror reflection of what has happened to Israel, what is going to happen with Israel, and what God is going to do. We have to remember that at one point, Israel was faithful, and then Israel became unfaithful, which is the reason why God sent all these prophets and judges the people of God had strayed, and they were called, and they were meant to bring them back. If they have strayed, what did they stray away from? They strayed away from faithfulness. 
and became unfaithful and were brought back. So in order for Hosea's life and his ministry, if it's a mirror and if it's supposed to make sense, Gomer has to start faithful and then later on become unfaithful. But if that's the case, then why did God call her immediately an adulterous woman in the first couple of verses? And I think this is something so key, and I don't want any one of us to miss it right now. The reason why God calls Gomer that is because God calls Gomer for who she really is. He calls her for who she really is. God calls Gomer according to the tendencies that she's hiding on the inside. Whatever she is trying to conceal and not make known on the outside, God sees it on the inside and calls her according to that. And that brings forth a very big truth for each and every single one of us here. It's the same thing for us. God sees us for who we really are. God sees us for who we really are. We can dress nice, show up Sunday, show up every Sunday. We can memorize the entire Bible, act perfect. We could put forth the most elaborate facade, dress in the most freshest gear that you could possibly imagine. But guess what? God knows us for who we really are. He knows the depths of our heart. He knows what's hiding on the inside. He knows whether or not you are genuine in your faith or if you're just faking the funk. God knows. You can't, even if you think you've hit it so well and none of us can see it, you might fool me, you might fool the pastors, you might fool everybody else around you, you might fool the people in your job, you might fool everybody, your family, you can fool everybody around you, but you're not fooling God. You're not fooling God. God sees us for who we really are. He knows that about us in the same way he knew that about Gomer. So he called her by what he saw on the inside, not by how she appeared outwardly. And as we continue continue the story, we see how this unfolds. We see how the mirror unfolds right before our very eyes. You see, Hosea and Gomer, they have three children. They have three children. The name of the children are as such, Jezreel, which was a boy. They had a daughter named Lo-Ruhamah. I looked that up because I wanted to pronounce it the right way. You know what I'm saying? Right? Lo-Ruhamah. Man, that's a difficult name. Look at that name. That's, that's tough, man. Lo-Ruhamah. And they had another boy at the very end called Lo-Am-Mi. Now, whenever you read Hosea, it can be very easy to just pass by these names and go to the next part of the story. But these names are important, believe it or not. These names give us insight to what is happening. The first name, Jezreel, I'm just going to touch on these names really quick. The first name, Jezreel, means God sows, God scatters. God sows, God scatters. This child was symbolic to how God sowed and planted his people at the outset with Abraham. Or if you want to go further back than that, with Adam and Eve. How God sowed and God planted, he started it, right? This child was a representation of that. And because of God sowing and God scattering, the child was also a representation of their unfaithfulness in the future, of, how, of what they would be and what God would do. 
And because God sowed, and this was God's heart, his flesh, part of him, this child real was a child that was sowed, a child that was planted between Hosea and Gomer. It was their child. The second name, lo Ruhama. This name means unfavored, unpitied, unloved. In essence, when you put this together in a sentence, it means born without a father's love, born without a father's favor, born without a father present. But Eddie, Hosea is there. The father is present. No, 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 no. The father is not present. Born without a father present. This child does not belong to Hosea. This child belongs to somebody else. And we can already see, we can already see that Gomer has been unfaithful. Now, Gomer is unfaithful. She has gone outside of her home looking for another, looking for another's love, looking for satisfaction somewhere else. And from that love and from that satisfaction that she was looking for outside of her home, there was birthed a child that did not belong to Hosea. We begin to see the unfaithfulness of Israel just unfolding right before our very eyes because Israel was faithful. And then they became unfaithful just like Gomer. The last name, the last name is Lo-Am-Mi. And that name means not my people. Not my people. God's people by this time have become so corrupt God's people by this time have intermingled with so many different cultures, so many different belief systems, so many different false idols. The very thing that God had commanded them to not do, that they had become a people that God literally said, not my people. You are not my people anymore, Israel, because of all the things that you are doing, all the things that you are doing. And just as God's people were not his people, lo amni was not Hosea's son, was not his son. He was also illegitimate. He was born out of Gomer's unfaithfulness to her husband in the very same way Israel has been unfaithful to God. Gomer is the very representation of unfaithful Israel. So much so that in chapter 2, she, Israel, is described in this way. In Hosea 2, Hosea chapter 2, verse 5, it says this. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. That is how she is described. I will go after my lovers. She is constantly chasing after her lovers for these things, for the food, the water, the wool, the linen, the oil, the drink. What do these things, what do these things represent? 
besides the literal. They represent worldly things. They represent material things that at the beginning they seem filling, but in the long run, in the long run, they are addictive, empty wells that will never satisfy. That is what she is chasing after. And in our time now, maybe even some of us here, could it be that we too are chasing after material things? Chasing after wells that will never satisfy. I did a couple of researching things just to find out, are there things that don't satisfy that we possibly chase after? And believe me, the list was very extensive. I was surprised. And real quick, just to name a few, sometimes we chase after the need of a better job. You hear what I'm saying? Sometimes we chase after the need of a better job. The job that we currently have is fine. But for some odd reason, we're unsatisfied with it. And we think that we would be happier if we had another job. So we quit this job and go to another job. Only to find out very soon that after a few months of being in this job, we don't like it anymore. So we leave this job thinking that we'd be happier in another job. And the cycle goes on and on and on. And it continues. It's an empty well doing that. It's an empty chasing doing that. Sometimes we chase after more money. And I can't help but think of Biggie, more money, more problems. We think that a lot of our problems will be solved if we had more money. So guess what we do? We chase after it to solve the problems that we have. But that's not the solution. That is an empty well that you will always be chasing after. Sometimes we think we need cooler friends. We abandon the ones that we have. They're not cool enough. They don't have enough views on their Instagram account to boost my Instagram account. So I'm just going to leave them to the side and not be friends with them. It happens. It's the mentality of the youth that we have with us nowadays. I'll only friend you if you follow me back. Sometimes we think the answer, the solution is another spouse. Oh, this wife is horrible. I'm great, but she's horrible. I'm going to leave my spouse and get with another spouse because I'll be happier with another spouse. Not realizing that the same problems you have with this spouse, you're just bringing over to this spouse. And then when those things start to arrive, when those goblins start to come out the closet, you leave this spouse and find another spouse because you remember in your mind, I was really happy when things first started out. So I want the start over feeling all over again because that's when I was most happiest. But that's an empty well. It's an empty well. But she says, I will go after my lovers. I will go after my lovers. Chasing after for what will never satisfy. This was Israel. This was Israel. What a deep, dark, downward spiral Israel has gotten themselves into. Chasing after anything and everything else but God. Listening to anyone and everyone else but God. They were corrupt, unfaithful, wicked. They had missteps and mistakes all over the place. They were unremorseful, immoral, unrepentant, wicked, not even batting an eye at sin because sin to them had become the norm already. 
When sin was being performed around them, they just thought, oh, this is Monday. This is cool. How many of us see sin in our lives and we no longer bat an eye at it? How many times do we see something happening that is, very, that is against the very word of God and we sit there and be like, oh, this is Monday. It's cool. Has sin to you become the norm? Israel has become a nation that has painted itself unworthy of the love of God because everything that they have done and because of everything that they were doing. Hosea's life is a mirror. It's a mirror. What has happened, what is happening. Now, what is God going to do about it? What is God going to do about it? What is God going to do with his people? As we continue with the story, Gomer has left her husband. She left. She left her husband, and she is now living in the streets as a prostitute. This symbolizes Israel's departure from their home. It symbolizes Israel's departure from the presence of God. God's presence was their home. They're not there anymore. Gomer was supposed to be home. She's not there anymore. Israel is no longer in the presence of God. And maybe, just maybe some of us feel that way this morning. Could it be that some of us may feel that we too are outside of the presence of God? that we don't feel him. We don't see his guiding hand in our lives. When we pray, it feels empty. When we worship, we hear nothing. Our heart doesn't skip the beat that it used to when we would hear God's word. Could it be that we are outside of the presence of God this morning? And could it be that it's that way because of the things that we've done this past week? Maybe the things that we did this morning, maybe because of some of the things that we did earlier in the month or the year. And because of those things that we did, we feel that we are outside of the presence of God, that we have done too much to have him look in our direction because of what we've done. Maybe it was a struggle for you to get up this morning and be here in church. But even now, sitting in these seats, you still don't feel his presence. It is in this moment, it is in this moment that God decides to speak up again through Hosea. And this is what he tells him. Hosea chapter 3. The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes, which is something they weren't supposed to be loving. So I bought her, Gomer, I mean Gomer. Hosea goes out and says, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a 
homer, and a lethek of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. Go, God told Hosea. Go, show love to your wife again. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Remember, Gomer is no longer home. She's no longer in the house. Israel is no longer in the presence of God. So what is God telling Hosea to do? Go, find her. Go, search for her. Go, seek her and show your love to her when you find her. Don't go up to her and throw things in her face. That's not what God said. Don't go up to her and call her out for all of her faults and all of her missteps. No, 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 no. Go show your love to her. Hosea did. He brought her back. He paid for her. There was another payment that happened when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That payment was to bring us back. That payment was made to bring us back. Because it's a mirror, because it's a mirror, that's exactly what God is going to do with Israel. It's exactly what God is going to do with us. It's exactly what God is going to do with you. Despite your shortcomings, despite your missteps, despite your mistakes, despite your past decisions, your sins, no matter how unfaithful you have been, no matter how unrepentant or immoral, regardless of how glitchy you are, regardless if your graphics aren't that good, no matter how much someone says you are not worth it, God will never stop seeking, searching, and pursuing you because we serve a God that does not give up that deserves a clap that deserves some praise i don't know about you we serve a god that does not give up he will never stop doing that and he does it with the purpose to not throw it in your face he doesn't do it with the purpose to call you out on all of your mistakes he doesn't do it with that purpose when he's seeking searching and pursuing you he's doing it with the purpose for one purpose he does it so that he can show you his love So that he can show you his love. It doesn't matter how many times you've fallen. God will show you his love over and over and over and over and over again. It doesn't matter. I heard this this statement a very long time ago when I first started following God. I was a baby Christian, so to speak. And I kept stumbling and falling and making mistakes. And this, I don't remember which pastor said it to me. But they were seeing that I was having a really hard time walking with God. They saw it. They came up to me and they said, Eddie, I'm going to tell you this one thing. And I have to share it with you because I think you need to hear it as well. They said this to me. There is nothing, Eddie. There is nothing that you could do that would put you out of the reach of his love or forgiveness. Think about that. There is nothing that you could do that would put you out of the reach of God's love or his forgiveness. He will forgive you a million times over. He will heal you a million times over. He will restore you to himself a million times over. 
our God has done and will do whatever it takes to get to you, to get to your heart. Because our God is a God that does not give up. So what do we do? How should we respond to a God that is so faithful and loving? We find our answer in the book of Joel. We find our answer in the book of Joel. You see, Joel was a prophet, just like Hosea. His ministry took place before the scattering of God's people, just like Hosea. And he too was dealing with an unrepentant people. And in the middle of God, kind of, for lack of a better word, you know, pouring out his wrath on his people. There's something that happens that is so key in the middle that he says to his people. And he says this in Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Even now, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Even now, declares the Lord, even now in the middle of your sin, even now in the middle of all your shortcomings, even now in the middle of your bad week, even now in the middle of your bad morning, even now in the middle of right before you walked in the church, even now in the middle of your unfaithfulness, of walking away from my word, not paying attention to me, even now in the middle of all of that, God says, return to me. Return to me with all your hearts. He says, rend your hearts, not your garments. Let me tell you something about that. That is so key. That is so important. Rend your hearts, not your garments. You see, rending Rending your garment in the Jewish culture was an expression of mourning. It was an expression of grief. It was an an expression to show how sorry they were. And it was expressed by them tearing their clothes apart. Whenever a Jewish man was super sorry about something that they had did, whenever they were in anguish, whenever they were in mourning, they would tear their clothes to show the entire world, to show everybody that was watching that they are sorry, that they are mourning, that they are remorseful for what they have done. They didn't care how they looked in front of people when they did it. But Joel tells us something more important than that. You see, he tells them to rend their hearts, not your garments. Why? Because Joel knew, God knew, that it is possible to tear your garments without tearing your heart. It is possible to have an outward expression of remorsefulness. It is possible to show how sorry you are. But on the deep down on the inside, there is no remorsefulness. There is no sorry. Rend your hearts, not your garments. God doesn't care about the outward tearing of a garment. God cares about the tearing of your heart. Why? Because he knows 
what's on the inside. He knows what's on the inside. At this time, I truly believe that as a response to our Father right now, as a response to a faithful God, as a response to a God that does not give up on you, on you, on me, on you, he wants us to rend our hearts before him. There is nothing, and let me tell you, there is nothing that you have done. There is nothing that you will do. There is nothing that will happen in the future that will put you out of his reach. I'm telling you right now, he is pursuing you. He is seeking you. He is chasing after you. You are worth everything to him. And nothing, let me tell you, nothing, nothing will convince him otherwise. Nothing in this world, outside of this world, in any other galaxy will tell God, hey, you're not worth it. And God will say, you know what? You're right. No, God will not listen to that because God knows you are worth it. He will always go after you. He will find his sheep. Regardless of what you have done, regardless of the bad you think you have done, Regardless of how damaged you think your relationship is with him, trust me, he is here right now waiting for you. Waiting for you to rend your heart and return to him. To rend your heart before him and return to the Father. I truly believe that the song that is about to play right now is a song that the Father wants to speak to each and every single one of our hearts. And if you wish to return to the Father, if you're somebody who's never known God before and you want to return to the Father, rend your heart before him in worship at the altar here in the front. If you're somebody who's been with God for a while and you feel like your relationship needs to go a little bit deeper because you had a really bad week, come forth, worship, rend your heart to the Father. If you're somebody who's been following God for a super very long time and you feel the need that your relationship needs to get deeper with him, come forward to the altar. Rend your heart to the Father. Because if you do, I can promise you one thing. He will speak to you. He will speak tenderly to you. His words will touch the very fabric of your heart. You will experience God his heart, his forgiveness, his love. If that's what you want, come. Come down to the altar and rend your hearts before God. Yes, God. At the very end, well, almost towards the end, of Hosea, In chapter 11, verse 8, Hosea is being spoken through by God. And it says this, and it's a very important thing. I don't want you to miss it. He says this, how can I give you up, Ephraim? Hosea was ministering to the tribe of Ephraim at this time. Ephraim is just another name for Israel. It's just another name for God's people. 
He literally says, how can I give you up, O Israel? How can I give you up? 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 How can God give you up? He can't. God loves us that much. We serve a God that would never give up on us. Lord Jesus, at this time, my God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for revealing to us your heart, my God, that regardless of what we do, my Lord, regardless of how unfaithful we've been, regardless of how unfaithful we are, or regardless of how unfaithful we may be in the future, my God, your love is a love, my God, that will not stop, my Lord. Your love is a love that transcends it all, my Lord. You will always seek. You will always find. You will always chase. You will always pursue us, my God, regardless if we are not chasing or pursuing you, Lord. But I pray right now over every single person who is here, my God, that we would do the same back to you, Lord. That we would honor you back, my Lord. That we would chase, that we would seek, that we would pursue, my God. That we would go after you, my Lord, in the same way you are going after us, my God. You are unrelenting, my Lord, in the way that you seek us, my Lord. Because you want to show your love to us, my God. Nothing more, my Lord. So I pray right now over every single one of us, Lord, that we would leave here with that same exact heart, my Lord. That we would leave here with our hearts rendered towards you, my God. And not with our garments, my Lord, but with our hearts, my God. I pray for genuine faith, my God. I pray for boldness, my God. I pray for strength. I pray for courage to do this, my Lord, over every single person who is here right now, that they would seek you and pursue you the same way that you have done with us, my Lord. And I pray, God, during the hard times, my Lord, because it's not easy. I pray during the hard times, my God, that when it gets really tough, my Lord, when we feel that we are not worth it, my God, that you would whisper into our ears, my Lord, that you would whisper into our hearts, my God, that you would say to us and remind us, Lord, no, 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 no. You are worth it. You are worth it to me. And may we take that and value it, my Lord, more than anything, God. We thank you. We love you. We worship you. May you have a great and awesome week in God. And remember, he doesn't give up on you. Amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 1030 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.